Welcome back. And welcome back to this, our 54th show here at Palestine Deep Dive and brought to you today live and also recorded uh, from Gaza and also here in the UK. Um, as you know, Palestine Deep Dive, each time uh, we sit down and we examine with our special guests uh, some of the issues that are happening that are being played out in real time uh, in Palestine. Uh, and we take a, a deeper look, a deeper dive into what's really going on. And we are very, very lucky to have a special guest today. We'll be introducing them to you shortly. I should just say that um, uh, all of our guests today are joining us from Gaza. Uh, this is 15 years into a siege, effectively. And not surprisingly also, lots of the public services have been affected over the years, not least electricity supply. So uh, it may well be that uh, we could... Uh, lose one or two of our guests during the show. We'll try and get them back on, but there are severe problems with electricity in Gaza. Not surprising, given how many times the electricity supply has been bombed and disrupted. We actually have this show today. Uh, it's an anniversary, a horrendous anniversary of the last full-scale Israeli military assault on Gaza. And I thought we were talking just before we came on on air, all of us, and we thought it would probably be um, uh, the right thing to do just to just to give you a flavour of where we were at this time last year on Palestine Deep Dive. And so we'll just have a quick trip uh, down memory lane as to where we were. Difficult for us elsewhere in the world to truly understand what it's like to live under a military bombardment. Can you tell us what life is like in Gaza right now? Yes, sure. It is my pleasure. Um, unfortunately, uh, I wish I could say this is our first war. It's not. Um, this is our fourth war. We had the first one 2008, the second one 2012, the third one 2014, and right now the year is 2021. And um, unfortunately, we are experiencing these performance again on daily basis. If you are living in a building like I am, you're gonna feel the building is shaking, and which is really scary. Like if you are sitting on your bed, or if you are just sitting like on, on a sofa or whatever, you're gonna feel that shaking. So basically you're gonna freak out. So you, you need to take action at this point because you're not only responsible for yourself, you're responsible for everyone in your family and everyone around you. Like for example, you gotta be aware of the fact that you need to open the windows so that when that performance takes place, the, the, the glass doesn't break and it doesn't hurt you, it doesn't hurt your family. People here in Gaza don't sleep at night, uh, which is a fact. After midnight, that, that's when they actually extensively bomb Gaza. And uh, unfortunately, we get terrified because when you lose power and you are like in the middle of the darkness and <clears throat> all you can see is... Anything you want, anything you need, we're here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Leave On that note, please, everyone, when this live is over. Oh my God. <sighs> that, 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 that was really strong. It was really loud. Oh my God. It's really close. Well, there's no power here. Oh my god, my phone is 1% and it's gonna lose connection now. 
keep the support, keep the love, uh, keep spreading the truth, keep taking action, keep protesting. And it's free Palestine, it's free Gaza. Gaza doesn't have to be uh, under this really blockade. Uh, still, I mean, it's been over 15 years, that's enough. Well, there we were uh, a year ago and with Raid, who again joins us this week. And uh, today uh, also um, is the anniversary of the uh, bombing of the media tower in Gaza. Uh, this was the headquarters for Al Jazeera, my old network, also for Associated Press, also for many Palestinian uh, media outlets, quite deliberately targeted. Um, the journalists who were in the building at the time were told to leave, and then the building was leveled. So uh, this is a year on, um, and today uh, I'm joined, of course, once again by Raid. But I just quickly uh, introduce you. You'll remember some of our guests to uh, Sama Atef, uh, Bazad, Dr. Bazad Alakras, and of course Raid. Just to let you know a little bit about them, uh, Sama is a Palestinian translator, content writer and a member of We Are Not Numbers. While Bazad, as you recall, is a medical doctor in Gaza. He studied a master in child and adolescence mental health at King's College University in London. This is an issue we're gonna be talking about this evening as well. He works as a mental health doctor at Gaza Community Mental Health Programme. Uh, and uh, also, of course, Raid, Palestinian activist, writer, project manager, at uh, Palcasters. Raid is passionate about the art of storytelling, public speaking, and he's constantly engaged in youth empowerment activities and opportunities. Now, my, my name's Mark Seddon. I used to be a reporter with uh, Al Jazeera. Um, I was the UN correspondent. I subsequently went to work for the United Nations for the Secretary General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon. Um, and uh, I've been a journalist for most of my life. And of course, I th thought that actually we should really, although we're going to, there's going to be a real focus this, today on Gaza and our guests will be telling us how, what life is like to live in Gaza right now. I thought that we should actually begin by uh, the, uh, the images that have flashed around the world um, over the past uh, two or three days in particular. And this has been a particularly grim time, of course, um, in Palestine. We've seen weeks of, uh, of of all sorts of horrendous things happening around the Al-Aqsa Mosque. We've discussed these, we've seen these, we've been, we talked to Dr. Barghouti the other week who was actually there and witnessed um, so much of uh, what was happening and the attacks on people uh, and the attacks also once again on journalists. But of course, what really um, has uh, galvanized the world because it uh, the, the images were so, um, utterly appalling, and uh, th th there was no doubt about what was happening there. It was, of course, the killing of uh, Al Jazeera's Shireen Abu Akhla. Uh, it's an event, really, that has um, already been described by some as potentially being, or being, uh, Israel's Sharpville moment. Um, older, older viewers may recall Sharpville when the South African apartheid authorities were shot indiscriminately at, uh, at South Africans, uh, uh, South African blacks in the township of Sharpville all those years ago. But these, there's been a feeling that you, that, that you, you're, it's quite tangible that there's almost a tipping point that could possibly have been reached by the events that we have witnessed across Palestine and Jerusalem 
in the Negev with the decision to to drive out villagers from their historic settlements and also what we've seen around Al-Aqsa Mosque, that something is turning. And I just wondered if we could just begin. Perhaps we should begin with you, um, Raid, given that we, we saw you at the beginning of this. I just wonder what uh, what the killing of Shireen has really done um, to public opinion in Palestine, how galvanized to see those, those some of those sites that we saw in Jerusalem, the huge numbers of people. Uh, this is really it does seem to be a bit of a turning point, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, Shireen, uh, she's been doing this for over 27 years. She's been a reporter, she's been a journalist, she's been a writer. She's always been telling the truth and she's always been telling the world what's happening in Palestine. Now, over the years, uh, Shireen has said it many times that she may not be able to change what's happening in Palestine, but she's able to transfer what's happening to the outside world. And that was her superpower. Uh, now, ever since we were kids, uh, all of us here in Palestine, we used to watch the TV and we used to watch Shireen on the TV. And all of us have heard it like so many that in Abu Aqli, Al Jazeera, Palestine. And we got super emotional. Uh, it was a shock to all of us in Palestine, to all Palestinians around the world, when the Israeli occupation assassinated uh, Shireen Abu Aqli. Now, what makes Shireen so unique? is that she's always been ethical, she's always been sacrificing, and she's always been doing many great deeds, even behind the camera. Like, whenever the Israeli occupation army invaded uh, countries and, uh, sorry, uh, cities and villages in Palestine, she was there, and she took action to help Palestinian people, help the kids, help those who are in, and she's got so many stories even behind the camera. Now, uh, Shireen, uh, you know what they say, uh, a pen is smarter than a sword. And Shireen's pen, and when I say pen, as a journalist, she wrote, uh, she captured photos, she recorded videos, she spoke to the people. And therefore, she exposed the history of the Israeli occupation. She exposed the massacres, the crimes. And to the occupation, that's even worse than some bullets uh, by an armed man, uh, you know, shouting at it. To, to it, that's like... Uh, you know, showing the whole world that the real face of the occupation. And because of that, as you saw last year, uh, when the attack was on Gaza and when uh, all those events were happening in Sheikh al-Jarrah, in Al-Salwan, in Jerusalem, in the occupied territories and even the West Bank, uh, because of the media, because of journalism, because of people like Shireen, uh, the whole world learned more about the Palestinian people and the whole world stood side by side with the Palestinian people and supported uh, it. So uh, when it comes you. to... Raid, I, I might just go to Samar on this as well. Um, and by the way, just to remind everybody, uh, the the uh, it, it, the electricity is pretty intermittent in Gaza. It's possible that there may be a complete blackout uh, uh, during our show. Just so, just so you should be aware how difficult it is for Samar and and Raid to join us. Uh, and uh, we really do appreciate uh, you, you doing so. But Samar, if I can come to you. You know, people don't necessarily appreciate elsewhere in the world uh, what this particular journalist Shireen meant because she had been doing this job for so long, 25 odd years. So what what was your reaction when you um, saw what had happened? Actually, it was very shocking for me. Uh, I was raised listening to Shireen. I, I knew a lot about Palestine, listening to her and watching her to, in TV. Like, it was my dream to become a journalist, to be like Shireen. 
like every day when I watch TV, I'll be standing and talking to my parents and saying, this is Shirin Abu Akla, Jerusalem, Palestine. I've always said this and I've always wanted to be the next Shirin. She's like an idol for us. And it was heartbreaking when I saw the videos and um, I really couldn't say anything. I couldn't do anything. I just wanted to write about it because Shirin is not just a journalist. I felt her like one of my family and losing this particular journalist felt like I'm losing part of my family, which is really heartbreaking. And I, I wanted the whole world to know about Shirin by, um, by publishing about her, by talking about her and by knowing the crimes that the Israeli army is doing against us in Gaza and, and in whole Palestine. She did nothing. She was just exposing them. And she was wearing the press vest, which apparently should save every journalist. But she was cold-bloodedly killed. I mean, we, we, we've seen the footage. We saw, as you were saying, Samar, um, she was wearing the, the press vest. She had the helmet. I mean, it's, this is, of course, this is the same press uniform that hasn't saved others who have been targeted. Um, and we've also since learned, because we've seen the footage, we've also heard from other journalists who are present, uh, that the Israeli version of events is simply untrue. And in fact, the Israeli version of events appears to have changed. We, we saw... Uh, subsequently, um, uh, a, a, a raid on, the, to, just to add insult to the terrible injury of her family, a raid on her family home, ostensibly to remove Palestinian flags, uh, the attack on the pallbearers, um, and of course a subsequent attack on the hearse itself, taking Shireen to the Christian cemetery. Now the thing is, we're now told that this is because they effectively, there was uh, originally it was stone throwing, and then it became Palestinian flags, that Palestinian flags were being confiscated. Well, I did check, um, and you all know all of this, um, that even under the Israeli occupation authority courts, it is not illegal to display a Palestinian flag in East Jerusalem or anywhere else for that matter. I mean, Bazad, I don't know, because I'm sorry, because you're having a, a few problems with the connections and I think I don't know how much you've been able to hear of this but what what do you think is really going on here with the uh, with the Israeli defense for these some of these soldiers who are shooting quite deliberately at journalists it would appear and because that it's uh, saying it's illegal for flags to be carried what do you really think's going on here can you hear me Bazad uh, perhaps not. Um, I'll come back to you, uh, Raid. Are you able to take that one up? Um, okay. Just did, you, did, did, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, so basically I just want to say what's been going on here in Palestine the past few days basically shows you the real face of the occupation. I said it before, I will say it again. Now, the whole world is reacting to that. Uh, they have this outrageous reaction, but at the same time, there is no action. And as you said, even this really course, there is nothing against Palestinians holding their flags. And even after the Israeli occupation, uh, the, the forces have said that there were stones that thrown at him. Uh, if you ever check the videos 
uh, and the photos, uh, the, the Palestinian media that was uh, released from that day, you would find out that all those were lies. And unfortunately, uh, the Israeli occupation continues to lie. It dares to lie. And even if it's recorded, even if it's on screen, and simply because there is nothing that could stop it. And what's been going on here, unfortunately, it's some action that we re we experience on a very regular basis, on a daily basis, let me say. Uh, Shireen is famous. Everyone knows her. Uh, she's got some really great publicity. But at the same time, there's so many Palestinians who are not as famous as Shireen, who get attacked on a daily basis, they, who get arrested on a daily basis, who get shot, like deadly shot by the Israeli forces on a daily basis in the West Bank, in the occupied territories, and from time to time in Gaza during severe attacks. Yes, I think that um, on news of uh, killing of Shireen, it was also revealed uh, by Hannah Nashwari, I think. I mean, she told us on, on social media that some 25 Palestinians have been killed in recent days in various uh, uh, attacks and arrests and, and what have you. This is a, a situation that I, I think it's been brought to people's attention in such a large way because of what people have seen at Al-Aqsa and also with the killing of Shireen. But as you're, you're right, right, because, you know, the focus has been on um, Jerusalem and the West Bank, and it may well move to the villages that are now about to be displaced if they get their way in the Negev. But people sometimes forget that where you are in Gaza, um, it has been described as the biggest open air prison. I mean, it really is somewhere where, you know, you can't leave, uh, you are under siege, uh, and this time last year, you were being bombarded. So um, I think people would be quite interested to know who've never been to Gaza, you know, what what, what, is, what is life actually like? Um, you know, and I, if I could come to you, Summer, um, you know, just ordinary things, you know, you know, what is it like just to go about, um, you know, your daily work? You know, how is it easy to buy? Is it easy to buy food? And what are water supplies like, sanitation? What's it like to live in Gaza right now? Okay, okay. Uh, so basically in Gaza, if you ask if it's easy to, to get food on the table, I will tell you, no, it's not. Uh, poverty is taken over the entire strip. Now, each year, more people are getting under the poverty line in Gaza. Uh, because of that, more people are heading towards leaving Gaza. They're literally immigrating from Gaza. Uh, Gaza circumstances, whether that's financial or social or on any other aspect, uh, they're getting tougher each year. And as I said, uh, the, the services here, they're degreeing. Uh, after the last attack here on Gaza, uh, water supplies have been degraded because the Israeli occupation has bombed uh, the infrastructure in Gaza. And even though that Gaza's municipality has tried its best to, refix, to fix everything that the bombardments had caused from damages and all, uh, they couldn't because our borders are restricted and we don't have all the equipment that we need. We don't have all the materials that we need to get that job done. So right now, mm -hmm. even though they focus on the main roads and the main uh, you know, neighborhoods and places, areas in Gaza to fix those problems, there's so many other places that are still uh, dealing with that issue, even though it's been a year, mm -hmm. which is a very long mm -hmm. time. Right, I'm good. To, if I might just come in there, because we, we unfortunately both Bazad and uh, Sam are having some difficulties, I think, with connection. I'm just wondering if they could both hear us. Bazad, can you hear me? Yes, yes, Mark. Oh, I'm hearing you now. Well, yeah. welcome, welcome. Um, yeah. Welcome to Gaza. Hear your voice. 
<laughs> we were worried. That yeah, we finally I did it. After 20 minutes, I did it. Fantastic. Well, thank you. I mean, people don't necessarily appreciate how difficult it is if you're in Gaza to communicate yeah. with the rest of the world. Um, and, of course, we also know there are plenty of attempts to stop you from communicating with the rest of the world. So so thank you. Bazar, really, uh, the same question to you as I just put to Raid. Raid, can you just tell us something about your daily life in Gaza a year on? Uh, just tell us about, you know, how easy it is to go and buy food or, you know, go go and visit friends or or just have a normal life. Um. This for me or for you, right? For Bazad, yes, for you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mark. Also, I'm yeah, sorry for the, this late beginning. Um, I don't know what was going, what's uh, what's going on, what was going on with my connection. I tried different Wi-Fi's. Um, for your question, um, I think now that the whole world and all people know that uh, Gaza is a very restricted area, um, as you said the largest open prison in, in the world. Uh, for me to catch up with the friends, um, I try to do this on a weekly basis, a weekly basis especially at the, at the weekends. Um, uh, and also this is some I, I do as a support for my work with, in the field of mental health sector. I try to, uh, to stay in contact with the friends and family. Um, for now, it's a, uh, I, I would say it's easy to catch up with the friends because like a Gaza city from north uh, to the south, it's, it's not more than 35 kilometers. So it's, it's not a, a very large or big area. We, we can see and catch with, with each us. For food, um, we used to have um, food shortages, shortages different, uh, on different uh, types of food um, uh, and goods. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear Is you very well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say that people in Gaza, try, uh, I think they are used to this. This is abnormal. For in my view, this is not a normal thing that people used uh, to live in a shortage of food or uh, contaminated water or under poverty lines. But this is the fact. This is the ugly fact, I would say. Um, because we human beings, we have this uh, desire and, and tendency to, to survive. So to conclude, I would say that for now it's quite it's quite uh, easy to catch up with the friends because all of this restricted area and for food it's not not all the food we we wish is available but yeah we're still surviving. Thank you, Bazard. I've actually got a question here, and uh, this is for you, Sama. And this question is from. Um, Jenny in Doncaster in uh, Northern England. And by the way, um, please do send in your questions. Um, so Jenny, she says, uh, is it true that at least 50% of the population in Gaza are under 18 years old? So if that's the case, one million children are living under siege, she asks, and what's their mental health like? Um, have most of them had the chance to visit places outside Gaza? Summer, for you. Uh, well, I guess a, a question related to mental health is is meant to the doctor. But from my point of view, as a, a as I lived in Gaza, like my whole life, I've never left Gaza before. Um, 
it's, it's really like abnormal. Like we have never seen anywhere outside this siege. Like um, the things that people have on daily basis, it's like very luxury for us. Like, for example, some people might uh, travel and vacations. We, we cannot do that. Um, like people eat from McDonald's. We, we don't have this. Um, people do lots of very simple things on daily basis that we, we really cannot like reach out to. I really want to answer the question you asked to write before, uh, like about our daily life. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you imagine that some streets are still destroyed from the last year? Like uh, today I was going to my work and um, I, I spent like 15 minutes going to, to the work, but the whole road just takes 20 minutes. It's because some streets are still destroyed. So it's really hard for us to reach the places we want to go to. And um, like the, the house right in front of me uh, was destroyed the last year. And until today, when I open my window and I look, there is nothing. Like there's just a very empty place that reminds me of my neighbors that they used to live here. So it's, it's really like reminding us every day that we are not living the life we deserve to live. So as, um, as a youth in Gaza, it's really hard. When you when you looked out of your um, room today and you saw the neighbouring house that was no longer there and an empty lot and it made you think of your neighbours, why why were they targeted? Was there any reason? It's just because the, the, the Israelis keep on telling us that they just attacked military targets. It's not a military target. We have nothing. Like it's a very civilian area. Like we are all civilians living around each other. Like. 3 a.m. they just made, made a call saying free the the area we want to bomb it and lots of people died in the process we we were leaving our houses 3 a.m. knowing nothing but that we have to leave we have to flee for our lives and it, it really breaks my heart like what did we do we, we did nothing like we were living simply and all of a sudden everything was bombed around us we we keep on calling our family in in different neighborhoods saying are you still alive like you call your friends to say how are you we call them to say are you still alive which is like really scary like one day you will be living suddenly and and then you will lose someone from your family for no reason but being palestinian Sama, just before we go back to Raid, I mean, you, you'll you'll be as aware as anybody else that currently we're seeing a lot of focus on uh, civilians in Ukraine, where similar things are happening. Bombs are landing on people's houses, and civilians are being killed for no reason. Um, and quite rightly, there's a demand for investigations and for the International Criminal Court to investigate. But it does seem that uh, there's one rule for for Ukraine and another for Palestine. And also, exactly. it's been, it is, Palestine is something is being described as the Ukraine of the Middle East. Do you think that's do you think that's an, a, a fair parallel? Well, you cannot compare us with Ukraine because when the first thing happened in Ukraine, everyone stood for them. But it's been happening for us for over a decade—not over a decade, for like seventy years—and no one has said anything. 
like the whole world, the the laws, and everyone was invest investigating the things happening in Ukraine. But when it's Gaza or when it's Palestine, everyone is blind. So there is no way to compare between us. Thank you. I mean, uh, Raid, coming back to you, we I mean, uh, we had Secretary of State Blinken today. He was um, the U.S. Secretary of State. He was challenged uh, on the killing. Uh, in East Jerusalem of the Al Jazeera journalists, and he said, uh, "Yes, there should be an investigation." But he wouldn't. He wouldn't go any further than that. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't talk about uh, the United States joining the International Criminal Court. He wouldn't talk about the type of investigation that might be needed. And this was a, a, an American Palestinian uh, citizen, so it doesn't give. Uh, I, I, mean, I don't know what you think, right? But I mean, if I was a an American uh, journalist anywhere wouldn't give me much uh, confidence in my own government. Um, but look, I'd never mind that, my opinion there. L look, the um, this is a question. Ma Mary in London, um, she sent in her question. This is for you, Raid. Uh, what do people in Gaza want from the outside world more than anything? I don't know if, I don't know if you heard that, Raid. Did you hear that? Uh, no, I lost. No, the could it be repeat that? Yes. Um. So this is this is a question from Mary in London who's watching, and uh, she says, "What do people in Gaza want from the outside world more than anything?" Um. Personally, I would say to always think of Palestine not just as something that's you know going viral on social media for a few days or weeks or months, and that's it. Uh, to live in Gaza is unfortunately uh, a, a daily uh, torture, and therefore I hope the, Palestine, uh, the the entire world to support people in Gaza in every way they can. And I think uh, we already explained this in previous talks. Uh, a lot of people could help uh, Gaza on a financial level, on a uh, medical level. Some people on a media level they could share everything that uh, we say and we do and we uh, capture. Uh, some people, uh, you know, help Palestinians in Gaza when they go abroad, whether they're students or people going out for medication or whatsoever. So uh, the, the thing is that in Nakba has been going on for uh, over 74 years now. And it is still going on. And we constantly live uh, with struggles and friends. Uh, and I always encourage people to do what they can for the Palestinian people, whether they're in Gaza or in the West Bank or anywhere. Thank you, Raid. Um, I think, Bahasad, can you can you hear me? Yes, Mark, I'm hearing you. Thanks very much. I, I just, if I could come to you, I mean, we are. This is a year on from the um, Israeli bombardment of uh, Gaza, and. Uh, Last time, I think it was something like 256 people were killed, uh, including 66 children. Uh, and um, rockets, uh, on the other hand, that came out of Gaza that were shot into Israel, I think killed 13 people. Um, a death is a death wherever it happens. But uh, when it happens in Gaza, it seems to happen in far, far greater numbers. And of course, a year on, people are also asking the question, you know, how have people been able to try and move on and try and um, recover? And I know that you've got this, you know, you're particularly qualified in the field of mental health and trauma. 
So I wonder if you could tell us something mm -hmm. about, um, you know, people that you are seeing who experienced much as Sama was just explaining to us what she went through, but it has a terrible effect on many people, a traumatic effect. So what's your experience of dealing with these problems a year on? Okay, what I'm going to say is is that I said every human being has a tendency to survive. What I mean by survive is just being alive. So a human being is, lie, is living between two moods, the survival mood and the learning mood. Um, the learning mood is when you are in a in your comforted area, when you are relaxed and you are enjoying your music, watching TV, enjoying with your friends, and the surviving mood when you are brought in a real danger or a threat. Um, continuous exposure to trauma makes the usual mood is the survival mood, which is the emergency mood for the human being. Um, I'm sorry if this is a very scientific language, but but but... This is what we see with people here in Gaza, unfortunately with most people here in Gaza. People are, as I said, they, in my opinion, they are not really living, they are surviving. And there is a difference between surviving and living, enjoying your, your life. So you see people in the streets, in work, in, in schools, but when you ask them, for example, about their future plans, um, most of people would not give you a concrete answer, a concrete plan for the future. Why? Because they they are living in the survival mood, which is trying to move them from the danger right now. And this is as, as this is as a result of the continuous exposure to trauma. Um, we hear that there is no B in the BTSD here in Gaza. There is no post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and I think this is the somewhat true because the cases we see. Um, Although we have been through four escalations, but we don't see the rates of post-traumatic stress disorder as, as expected. Instead, we say high levels of anxiety and depression, um, which science now explains this um, as, as, as a mechanism of bursting continuous trauma. So what what are people in Gaza, what people in Gaza are living is that what we can call continuous traumatic stress disorder. There is no end point of a trauma. Um, if there is a single traumatic event, you would treat and rehabilitate the victim. Um, whatever was was the intervention or, or treatment, but if you, I'm always saying this, but if if, if you treating the victim like, for example, in 2008, after the war in 2008-2009, then there was a, that escalation in 2012, then in 2014, now it's in last year. So with time, it makes it, it make, it's complicated and difficult to treat. And you say people, you see people that they are hypervigilant, they cannot relax, they cannot comfort, they cannot plan for their future, they can, they uh, cannot uh, enjoy the the simple moments of joy, like for being like being successful in work or school or university. Whenever we achieve thing, we are afraid of the coming of the, of the coming step. And this is unfortunately because most of us are living in this surviving mode.
This is very, very interesting, Bazaar, because, I mean, I think that what you're describing to us is a situation that a lot of people would, would, would really would be very shocked to learn about. I mean, they, they understand, you know, after a terrible event, after a bombing, um, after a, a short war, people are going to... But this is continual because the attrition is continual. That's what you seem to be saying, that this is something that... Uh, it, it's... Uh, it's Almost everybody's probably suffering from it to a degree because because it's like being in permanent prison, but being attacked whilst you're in prison, if if I can say that. So I'm just wondering, really. I mean, what 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 do, what can people look forward to? I mean, what would uh, what would what would make what would make things better? How could things be improved? It's an obvious question, really. But how could things? How could people's mental health be improved? Is this a question for me? It's for you, Bazard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for, for this book connection. Um, what I want to add before answering this question is what we during acute escalations or offenses against Gaza, we face what we call the um, like direct or acute danger or death. But between escalations, unfortunately, we go back to the slow death. As my colleagues mentioned um, a closure of borders, difficult on travel, um, uh, a, a shortage of electricity, all means of life are threatened. So we are moving between like a slow and rapid death. What, um, what, what can help? I think that Gaza, it's time for Gaza to take its opportunity. We need like a complete, a, a complete resolution for this two million people in Gaza, more than two million people in Gaza right now, half of them are uh, under the age of 18, half of them are children, okay? They didn't start their future yet. Um, how this can be improved? By opening the borders, by providing uh, by complete financial uh, and logistic support for the government here. Um, by uh, by easing travel, travel means, um, putting uh, like an end to this continuous offenses against against uh, Gazan people. Um, stop and don't believing and uh, not believing the the Israeli narrative. And I think now it's it's easier than any time before to see the authentic narrative. I think all of these uh, points would help and improve um, in generally the situation in Gaza. But mm. if we are going to take specifically, um, we need to to provide like opportunities for saying the medical staff, mental health staff, for training abroad, abroad for exchange with the with other, especially Western Western countries. Uh, to, to to have the opportunities to be trained there to. Uh, to receiving the, the most updated knowledge in the field, uh, in the field of trauma, in the, in the field of, of treating injured people. I think all of this could help improve the whole situation here in Gaza. Thank you, Bizarre. I mean, Raid, if I, if I might come to you, I mean, you know, a, a million... Are you able to hear me, Raid? I think we may have lost Raid. I'll come to <laughs> Samar. I'll come to. So we. The, I mean, thank you very much to all of you. It's really difficult um, for you, I know, because of these poor connections. And I hope people who are watching it appreciate that too. But 
Samal, you know, when, when we hear this and a million young people who are wanting like every young person all around the world to go on to, to school and to university and to, to find jobs and have a normal life. Uh, and yet this horrendous situation, uh, this like a pressure cooker uh, building up. And what do young people think about um, those countries that could really put pressure on Israel, for instance, over the borders, over the blockade, countries such as the United States, countries such as Egypt, countries such as Saudi Arabia, and the, uh, these countries that have, 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 have built diplomatic relations with Israel from the Arab world. I mean, uh, you know, as Bazad was saying, that people can see so much more clearly now what's really happening. Um, what is it? What's going to make those countries change their their outlook and to put real pressure on Israel? I guess they first need to have some empathy, like put yourself in our shoes. Um, for example, imagine your child is is not living the proper life they deserve. Like imagine one of your family went out to work and then never comes back because he was bombed for no reason. Imagine not being able to go to your work because the road is destroyed. This is like the simplest thing they can they can think about and then trying to to put pressure to stop it. They they need to they like the countries around us. They they can just open the borders and allow us to have these exchanges with them and exchanging students, exchanging medical staffs and all of these. Something to to ease the the siege on Gaza. Um, I, I really want them to just look at us and understand what it feels like to to live in a prison. Like I'm I'm 22 years old now and I know nothing about freedom. I don't know what does freedom mean. Like I've lived this forever and I I might live it like for the rest of my life. So we need it to change. We need it to stop. And they have the ability to make it stop. Thank you. We've got a question here, uh, Sama. I'll come uh, to you again on that, this, if you will. Um, we have been talking about it being a year on because this is a year since um, the uh, last big Israeli bombardment of Gaza when we were talking to, to you then, actually, some of you. And, you know, so that's the reason why I'm referring to it as a year on. Uh, we obviously know that this has all been going on for 70-odd years. But Kate McFarlane says, I was in Gaza in the early 90s and and saw firsthand the trauma that is everywhere. And that trauma, I now believe, is worse. The resources are more scarce, poverty is through the roof, and water, which was drinkable then, is also more scarce. The only hope is, one by one, to educate people of the world. And, of course, the United States makes this open-air prison possible. I do see an increase in awareness, but the truth of the U.S. is that anyone who speaks out too publicly will... And unfortunately, her sentence drops mid-sentence. We can't see what will happen to people who speak out publicly. But actually, I suspect, Summer, we we know what tends to happen to people who speak out too publicly for Palestinians uh, in, in the United States. They don't get, tend to get heard very much, do they? Are you um, are you able to hear me, Summer? Yeah, I can, yeah. Hear, I can yeah. hear you clearly. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on uh, Kate's... Um, remarks there can you say it again please 
Uh, well, she was. Um, did you? Well, essentially, she was saying that the situation is 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 worse than it was when she was there in the nineties, and the only real hope is to try and educate people all around the world. But um, it's a bit difficult because the United States effectively helps make this situation the open air prison uh, possible, um, and that if people speak out too publicly in the United States, um, they don't. And more they will eventually be heard. Like when when one person is talking, then he can easily be neglected. But when like hundreds and thousands of people are talking over and over again all the time, they will eventually be heard. Maybe not now, maybe not the next year, but one day they will be heard. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Right, if I can come to you, we've got a question. This is from Dan Lieberman. And Dan asks, uh, are rocket attacks on Israel offensive? Or are they due to revenge attacks and provocations from the Israeli military? In other words, can casualties between the two forces be treated from the same perspective? No, never. Um, this is an occupier and this is an occupied. So you could never just compare the Israeli occupation to what's whatever we have here in Gaza. Now, you, you need to keep in mind that the Israeli occupation is being reinforced. It's being aided. Uh, from the U.S., from the U.K., from several countries around the world. Now, if you ever talk about Gaza, Gaza is under siege, okay? And Gaza is under occupation. And Gaza has two borders that are very restricted. So the militants here in Gaza have very basic rockets. Like, I wouldn't even call them rockets because if you launch a rocket from Gaza towards the Israeli occupation, it would just drop a wall or a wall or a window. But if one Israeli warplane uses one rocket to bomb Gaza, it would take an entire towel down. And we've all been seeing all those destructive bombardments last year. And I think last year has made this very clear to the entire world. We have several uh, buildings in Gaza like El Jawhara. It's a huge building that was dropped down. And so many other uh, buildings and towers in Gaza. So it's it's never equal equation ever right we've actually been reading in um in in the past uh actually half hour or so of a story in heret's newspaper that um as a result of uh the uh, what are the media term clashes in janine um the israeli military are now thinking of using um more drones and helicopters and i'm just wondering does this also mean, in effect, that um, when this also presumably also may happen in Gaza, that, that, that people are being spied on all of the time? Uh, well, here's, here's something that's really important. Now, in the West Bank, is so different from Gaza. Now, in the West Bank, the Israeli occupation, the army can get into any country, any city or any neighborhood or any place they want. They could drag anyone they want. They could assassinate anyone they want. Now, the, the Gaza is isolated, but the West Bank is not. Now, there is something that this world needs to understand. The Palestinian people has the right to defend itself, to defend its right, its human rights, you know, as a people that lives under an occupation. Now, the people in the West Bank, the Palestinians there, yes, they are brave and they fight. And we hear about actions there from time to time. But... You know, it's really ridiculous that the Israeli army decides to use missiles and helicopters on a city that they know that they barely have guns. So uh, 
I'm, I'm not sure about the internal situation there because I've never been to Janine, Janine unfortunately. But I, I think uh, 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 the, the street occupation has eyes everywhere. And of course, they wouldn't hesitate to use power against Palestinians uh, in any shape, in any way they want, just to make sure that they suppress and oppress Palestinians everywhere. Thank you. Well, gosh, you've got a comment here. This is some um, Siobhan Akun, and she says, uh, how, how did you three beautiful Gazans learn to speak English so perfectly? <laughs> well, whilst you're thinking about the answer to that, we've got another question. Um, and this is uh, this is from Tash in Manchester in Northern England. And she says, thank you so much to these wonderful young panellists for enlightening the world about the realities in Gaza. We can only begin to imagine what these brave young people have endured and, and to hear they are speaking so patiently and eloquently. Um, as Raif, Rafif Ziada says, you teach us life. And so her question actually is, um, to each of three of you, and I don't know if, if Bazad can still hear us, we are having, you're having problems uh, with your connections, I know, but uh, Bazad, you're back. So well, since you're back, we can see you and hopefully you can hear us. The question is, um, what are each of your dreams and ambitions? Bazad, to you. Uh, uh, that's a difficult question because I think all of us have like personal dreams, but um, unfortunately, since we came to this life as a Palestinian, our personal dreams are, are always threatened. But a holistic dream, um, I would say that I wish me, my friends, my family would live a better life, a peaceful life. Like just I saw and experienced in London, in the UK. Um, I studied in the UK. I lived there for one half a year. Um, and I would not exaggerate if I said that during this one and a half year, I was asking myself, what is the problem with us as a Palestinians? What was our fault for not living just a peaceful and calm life like that there? Um, this was the, the question. Um, its answer uh, is my dream. Um, like my national and personal dream, just living a personal, a, a peaceful life. Uh, waking up in the morning, um, not being afraid of there would be a new escalation or a new murders or a new bad news would affect my, myself, my relatives, my friends, and even any Palestinian around me. So I would, uh, yeah, I would confirm that this is my dream. Well, we, we all we all wish the best for you and hope that you have this, Bazad. You deserve it, as does everybody in Gaza. Samar, what, what about yourself? I um, I have so many dreams actually, but um, I really wish to go to Jerusalem. Like my dream is to have the borders like erased and be able to go Saturday to Jerusalem, Sunday to Janine, which are cities in my own country that I've never been to and I cannot go to. I, I really dream to have electricity 24-7, which is a simple thing, but I really wish to have it. Um, I really want to go uh, finish my education outside Gaza, like 
I really want to see the world. I want to know what is the meaning of freedom. I want to like smell it in the air. And I want to go to work not feeling afraid that I might go home and find someone missing from my family. Sama, it just seems so extraordinary to us uh, hearing that, you know, to, to just to have the, the, you know, the basic wish of electricity, the light, uh, you know, to have that, um, but also to be able to travel around your own country. I mean, here's the terrible, terrible irony and injustice of this. As you were talking about Jerusalem and Janine, I realized I've been there and I'm not Palestinian. Uh, so it's easier for me as a as a foreign national to travel to parts of your country than it is for you. It's a dis utter utter disgrace. It's so unjust. Um, Raid, can I can I come to you? Yeah. Um, my basic dream is to be free. Now, as someone like there's uh, something Samah Bassett said uh, that I wanted to sit to. Like I wanted to go to Palestine and see. The Entire Palestine. I hear it's a heaven. A lot of people got to be there. Most of them are not Palestinians. So for me as a Palestinian who's incapable of going there, uh, it hurts me. And also I wish to travel. I'm someone who's passionate about traveling, but at the same time, I know that once I cross the border after six or seven months of you know registration and waiting for my turn to travel. Uh, it would be so hard for me to come back to Gaza for a visit. Now, that's something that I experienced in a minor experience. I went to the U.S. for five months, and during some winter break or uh, other breaks, uh, most of my friends went to their home countries to celebrate that with their families, but I couldn't. Now, for me, if I want to live abroad, uh, and if you know somehow something happens to my family, to my mother, to my father in the first place, because they're getting old, they have chronic diseases, or if something happens in Gaza, if it's Gaza, if it's Gaza under attack, it's going to be so hard, actually impossible for me to return here to Gaza and be here on time. So to me, that's uh, like a dream. But at the same time, I'm talking about one of my ultimate fears. For me to travel to be abroad and something happens here, and I'll be incapable of being here. So. Palestinians. It's it, it's a, again it's 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 all of this is that are notions that um, other people from outside Palestine really really find difficult to contend with because these are basic human rights and are being denied. Um, and uh, well, look, I mean, we must try and leave uh, on a on a more hopeful note. I mean, and we have got a, a, a hopeful note, I think, provided by Jenny um, because she's emailed in and she says, "How does it feel?" Uh, in Gaza, when you see the images of protests from around the world, are you encouraged by this? Is it encouraging? Baza, there have been a huge number of protests all over the world. There have been lots of protests here in, um, in the UK over the past few days. Uh, how, how does it feel when you do see the rest of, you know, ordinary people elsewhere in the world demonstrating for Palestinian rights? Oh my God, for me, I get so emotional. I feel like, oh my God, this world hasn't forgot about us. Our lives matter. Some people care. And somehow, some way, you know, in the future, there is a huge possibility that we are going to be getting our liberation because of the international support to Palestine, because this is a human rights case. So, yes, it feels so great to not be forgotten, to be cared for, and to be loved and supported. So, yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's ever went out to protest for the sake of Palestine. Free, free Palestine. And you, Bazad? How yeah, do you um, feel? Yeah, um, I feel, yeah, I feel encouraged. Um, I feel 
uh, I have the power and also the desire to continue what we are doing, what we are doing right now, what we are doing in our daily life, working a, to, to guard our right to live. Um, I have only a comment. I've, uh, I've read one comment that people thankfully say that Gazans teach us life. I want just, just to add a note here. Um, that the, this resilience you you, you see um, is really cost costly. Um, we pay too much mentally, uh, physically, at, at, at cognitive level, uh, to to appear as really as resilient as we are. But at the end of the day, we are we still are human beings. We we feel sad. We feel depressed. We, we feel hurted, um, and I just want to, to, to say that it's not easy for us to appear as, uh, as what you are seeing us. Um, uh, unfortunately, we have no other choice just to continue and appear strong and be strong, but uh, at the difficult mo mo moments, uh, between ourselves and inside ourselves and also bet between us, we, we know that that some of most of us are frightened, are afraid. Um, I sometimes we we have uh, we suffer lack of motivation, but as I said, uh, we have no other choice except to continue. So, if you see if you see us like we are resilient or teaching you life, um, just just we need more than that. Mm. In means of, uh, yeah, in means of supporting us, uh, publishing and sharing the correct narrative, the authentic narrative, the humanistic narrative, not more. Thank you, Bazard. I mean, unfortunately, we've lost Sama, and and it may well be she's got a lost connection. But if we if she can't come back, um, from all of us here at Palestine Deep Dive, thank you so much, Sama. And uh, before we go, just a few messages coming in. Um, Siobhan says, all the love and respect to you three magnificent humans and all the good people of Gaza. Um, Dee says, your courage inspires me. Kate says, we will never forget. You are in my heart and mind every day. Uh, also, um, Naomi uh, Juna says, Gazans teach us life. And when the siege ends, I want to welcome you to Scotland. Long live Palestine. Well, there you go. You've got an invitation to Scotland. Well, you've got an invitation to England as well. You come whenever you can. We, we should love to host you uh, here in Britain. Um, come and visit us at Palestine Deep Dive. We're going to be carrying on um, campaigning and, uh, uh, and, and giving uh, uh, what we can in terms of a stage, a place for all of you to tell us exactly what is going on, which you've done this evening. So thank you very, very much, Bazard. Thank you, Raid. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Um, um, and until thank next time. Thank you, Mark, time, for your support. Thank you. All the best. Thank you, Mark, for having us. Thank you.